Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. At Crosswalk, we have uh, a number of different classes, a, a number of different uh, workshops as well that might be your next step of faith. We have four Christian Essentials classes. Each one of those is taught on one day, and and it's taught for three hours or so, maybe a little bit more. Christian Essentials 1 is our basic membership class, and we call it Christian Essentials 1 Connect, and it's how you connect to God through Jesus Christ, and how you connect here at Crosswalk through, through the different things we do with groups and, and ministry teams and worship. Christian Essentials 2 is a, one that is entitled Grow. And what that is for is to help you in learning how to read your Bible. How, it is how you become a self-feeder of faith, that you are able to go back to God's Word and, and you can get the basics of starting a Bible Bible reading, uh, a devotional life. It's a way to improve that. Christian Essentials 3 is one that I really want to talk about right now. Christian Essentials 3 is called Serve. And what Christian Essentials 3 is about that's so unique is that it is about your giftedness, how God has specifically made you to serve. And as part of that, we use... uh, the word shape as one way that we analyze each individual person and assess where your, your gifts and talents and where your heart is. And the word shape, the S, stands for spiritual gifts. What is it, that a gift that you've been given that, that's unique to you? The H is heart. What do you care about? What, and the way you find out what you care about is not only like, oh, this really excites me and I, I'm so excited about this, but the other part of it is what really upsets you. And, and that also can be something to go and say, I want to work on that and I want to help stop that or, or be the answer to that problem. The A is ability. Where do your abilities lie? P is your personality. Am I an introvert or am I an extrovert? Uh, where is it as I look at my personality that might decide where, help me decide where I go from here? And then finally, the one that really, as you look at what separates you, is your experience. What in your life have you been through uh, that makes you uniquely qualified maybe to be in a specific area of ministry? Now, as we do that, it, I, it's Christian Essentials 3 is definitely the funnest one. Christian Essentials 4 is coming up. That's sharing your faith. That's going to be in December. And we offer these once a semester. But Christian Essentials 3 is one where you get to really dig down a little bit deeper, and as you do that, it can really help you understand who you are. And maybe as you do it, if you do it with other people in your family, understand them a little bit better. And when we do that, there's a final step to it that's called Strengths Finder. Clifton Strengths is the name of it, and we encourage everyone to take that as well. And in those strengths, there are 34 different strengths, and what you find out are what your top strengths are, and in doing so, it will help you lead from an area of your strengths. It will also help you understand a little bit about yourself. Example, 
two of my top five strengths are restorative and activator. Now, what that means is restorative means that when I see things that are broken or things that need to be done, I like to fix them. And so that, that's fine, my wife would say, if it was broken things around the house, uh, that if I were to do that, but no, I don't like that type of restorative as much. Uh, my restorative is, is probably more where she comes and she tells me uh, what went on in her day, and then I share with her how to make it all better. Just do this, this, and this. Is this conversation over yet, or what? So restorative is I, I see things that need to be done and, and like to see them fixed. The activator part is I want to get started on it immediately. So activate, let's do something. That to leave a meeting without something where you have a next step it drives me insane. That, that's a waste of time then. And so when I have this restorative and activator where I see something that needs to be fixed and I want to do it right away, where that usually leaves me is alone doing stuff. And, and an example would be, even in the Christian Essentials class, when people come to it, the room has to be set up in a certain way, so, so I have to move all the desks and everything like that, and then after the class, everything needs to be put away. I know what it needs to look like, I know what needs to happen, and so I do it. Everybody leaves, and I put it back in place. And I usually get home about 45 minutes later. My, my wife asks, how come you're home so late? And I tell her, sorry. I had to, evidently, no one else can see that the room needs to be put back in the right place. Um, so I have to do it. Well, that was until the last class I had when someone asked, can we help you? And I said, well, I don't know. And then I said, you know what? Sure. And all of a sudden, what happened is a job that took me 45 minutes took seven minutes. And everything was right where it needed to be. People were so thankful for helping. And what it made me realize is that frustration I've had after Christian Essentials classes of always having to be the one to put away was my own fault. Because I never invited, I never asked people to help. And what I realize is that, that sometimes when it comes to certain work that needs to be done, some maybe don't see what needs to be done, but others at times need permission to help. That, that as they look at it, what they're saying is they don't want to step on anyone's toes. They don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And it made me realize that, that this truth of being multiplied by invitation is something that, that is very important. Now... Why do you need to hear this? Well, for a number of different reasons, and they're probably different for every person that is here today. If you are someone who already is a leader, and you have gotten close to burnout, that, that chances are, when you are getting close to burnout, you are very isolated. Things are going to come out of your mouth like, I have to do everything. If I don't do it, it's not going to get done. Um, and, and the rest of us hear you, but it sounds like wah, wah, wah. Because we got stuff to do too. But so, so what happens when I'm in this area of burnout where I feel like I'm doing everything 
am I in some ways becoming a, a prophet of my own doom by, by not getting other people involved? Is some of that fault, oh my goodness, could it possibly be somewhat my fault? But on the other hand, you, you might be on the, the other side. And chances are on the other side is where most of you are. And the reason why I say that is, is there's an old church saying, and it, it goes kind of like this, that 20% of the people that come to a church do 80% of the work. And it's definitely true that, that when it comes to offering, that 20% of the people, this is just math, 20% of the people who attend give 80% of the money. And so that as we look at that, the deal isn't that we're saying, hey, you need to step up to the plate. You need to be doing your fair share. That is not what this message is about. It's not. What it is about is something that Nehemiah understood, Jesus understood, and the Apostle Paul probably taught the most clearly of any of the teachers in the Bible. And that is... God has arranged his church so one person cannot do all the work. So if you're trying to do that, stop. Jesus couldn't. That, that when you look even at Jesus' ministry, when he did it, immediately he had 12 individuals with him as well as 70 others that, that followed him around and he understood that even he, he as true God and true man, with, with the sharing of the gospel to the entire world, that it was not going to happen with just him going door to door to talk and meet with everyone that was there. He understood that. And that is why right before he left, he gave them the mission, not just to his disciples, but to his whole church, that this very important work we have of sharing Jesus with the world is not just the pastor's job, and it's not just the staff's job, and it's not just the team leader's jobs. It's everybody's job. And as we begin to see that, what we understand is that Jesus that as he has come and invited us to faith, as the Holy Spirit has drawn us in by the gospel, that he not only invites us to believe, but he invites us to also be part of that mission, to continue to work, to be part of the answer of the problems that our world needs. And today we are, are going to see these answers, some of them, uh, in Nehemiah and see how he worked and how he multiplied by invitation, how he realized he could not do this by himself and the steps he took to bring people with him. So we begin in Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning with the 11th verse. Catch you up a little bit. Nehemiah lived about 500 years before the time of Christ. He lived in Persia, and as he was living there, he uh, was a cupbearer to the king, so he was a very successful person. And what he found out is the children of Israel had been in captivity for about 80 years, and that he heard that the walls of, of Jerusalem had been torn down, that the gates were burned, and it had been that way for a while. And that's when he asked the king, king, can I go back and, and help, and can you pay for it? And the king said yes. So now what we're seeing is him going back and he finally arrives in Jerusalem and this is what happens. I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. 
I had not told anyone what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. And so as we we see this, Nehemiah gets there, probably waited three days just because he was tired, uh, that that it was a journey, that it was a good six, seven hundred miles, that it would be the equivalent of going on horseback from here to roughly Salt Lake City, and probably more mountainous than that as well. And so after a long journey, three days, that, that he had finally gotten there, and now it was time. And notice what he did is he went at night, and he only went with a few people. That, that even though he had gotten there, he hadn't told anyone what he was going to do yet. In the blank, you can write, before we include others, a leader develops a personal vision in light of God's word and promises develops a personal vision in light of God's word and promises. So before Nehemiah was going to share this with everyone else, he needed to understand what he was going, what it was going to look like. Because the second he said that he was going to be there to rebuild the walls and rebuild the gates, you know the first question the people were going to ask? How? How are we going to do this? How? What, what, what's it going to help? How is that going to happen? And, and so before he shared what he was going to do, he needed to have a fuller understanding of what needed to be done so he could share that with them, how this was going to be done. And understand that, that as he was doing this, this was all part of God's plan, that, that God had said this a hundred years earlier. During the time of Isaiah and Jeremiah, in a number of different places, that after 80 years, his people would return, and and they would rebuild Jerusalem, and they would rebuild the temple. And, And in that way, Nehemiah knew that his vision was in line with God's word. Now, Pastor Jeff and I have been talking for a while about my transition to be the senior pastor here at, uh, at Crosswalk. And both of us right now are senior pastors. And Jeff, we joke, is 1A, and I'm 1B, <laughs> or 1AA. Uh, no, but, but so, so in the midst of this, I, uh, I am like the most blessed person in Levine. I am. To, to be able to work with Jeff, Jeff's a tremendous leader, and, and as we have gone through this, uh, we, we've now set a date where our, our numbers will change, and that is going to be July 1st of 2020. So he's still going to be here, but technically, on that day... I will be his boss. And so I've gotten him a number of gifts. Don't tell him because he's not around. I've gotten, uh, first of all, I got him a t-shirt that says 1B uh, that he's going to wear at all our staff meetings. Secondly, there's a, a, a very good book called How to Lead When You're Not in Charge that I gave that to him. And then what I, I joke about is the first hundred days of my leadership and all the changes that will be made uh, for, and, and I finally get to do what I want to do. That is the exact opposite of what leadership is. And that is the exact opposite of 
leading with a vision that is cast around God's words and promises. That as a leader, that that it's your responsibility, as a matter of fact, to say, I need to be careful that this isn't just what I want to do. That is the biggest thing that you will fight in your life, is, is that if you are doing simply what you want to do, newsflash, others around you can see it. And they can see it when it's being self-serving. And when you are doing that, you're going to turn around and no one's going to be following you. Because it's what you want. That as we look at this, being a leader, leading God's way, means that I set a vision in light of God's words and promises. And, And probably the most clear picture of that that we have in the Bible is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus as the leader of his people, Jesus as the Savior. Father, if it's possible, may this cup, this suffering that I'm about to endure, enduring hell itself, Lord, may this cup be taken from me. Do you understand in those words what Jesus is saying? That, that, that he is saying that, that as, as, especially from, as a human being, that he looks what is about to happen. He understands completely the pain that he is about to endure. And, and he is saying, if there is another way, th- that would be the way maybe that we want to consider. But then, how did his prayer end? But not what I want, but your will be done. And immediately we see the vision that Jesus had that was given to him by the Father. And he shared that vision in so many different ways. And and do you understand why Jesus always didn't share that vision as clearly as, as maybe others would have wished that he did sooner? Because when he did, there were times when he was with his disciples. And he said, after he asked Peter, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says... Awesome, Peter. That wasn't revealed to you by men. That was revealed to you by God. And then a little bit after that, Jesus said, you understand that I need to go to Jerusalem and be handed over to the religious leaders and be put to death and crucified. And how did Peter reply to that? You know, Lord, may this never be. And what you see in the midst of a vision, when you're doing God's will and not following your own, that you're going to have other people who are going to question that vision because they don't know what God is saying. That They're not listening. They're not seeing the bigger picture of what God is telling you to do and the responsibilities that you have, especially as godly leaders, because it's all about him. The center of every vision of a godly person is going to be Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins that we have in him, period, period. Jesus at the center, God given the glory. That is the vision that he has for us. We continue. He does a little more exploring. By night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. My goodness, this was a mess. This wall was an absolute mess. So I went up the valley by night examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and returned through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing 
because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. (laughs) That's the tough part is as you look at this, the vision, I haven't told you guys who are going to be doing the work because I know when that as you look at the work that needs to be done, there's going to be all of these different things that say, how is this going to get done? When are we going to be doing this? What's the timeline? And he did not have those answers. Now, as we look at it, though, the truth that we want to learn here is that a leader will trust you can do the fill-in and verify, and verify the information that others share. First-hand information is vital. And so as you are, are doing the, the leadership, and, and you, you've heard that, you don't assume. You just don't. That you don't want to make assumptions about situations. And for goodness sakes, don't ever do that about people. What I have found is when the assumptions are made about people, they usually go south in a hurry. For instance, that, that if you're, uh, there's someone who hasn't been in church in a while, what's the assumption churches make? Well, they must not love Jesus, right? They, uh, something's going on that's more important than God in their life. Yeah, they've been in the hospital for six weeks. Come on, cut them. The, see what I mean? The assumption is usually an assumption that is bad. And so as you are a leader, that as you look at different situations and, and situations where you're going to be dealing with people, talk to them. See these situations firsthand. There is a reason why also whenever there's a disaster, uh, the president, the governor, whoever it is, flies firsthand to those places. And, And a part of you can say, well, why do they even have to go there? Because firsthand means something. That when you go there and you see the problem and experience it, you are going to see it differently. The next words. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. I don't know if that's a big deal to you. I don't know if you really... It is hard to explain to you how serious this is. And and especially for Nehemiah, I'm sure he said, Do you realize I can't even ride my horse around? I can't even go out one gate and in another because there's just garbage and trash and heaps of rubble everywhere. And you guys have gotten used to this. In the blank, you can write, a leader leads followers to become uncomfortable in conditions, and sometimes sinful conditions, that they see as normal. Leader leads followers to become uncomfortable in sinful conditions they see as normal. This past week, I had a pastor's conference. And so we were there, the staff was there for three days in Las Vegas. And whenever I say that, the um, people chuckle and say, oh, a pastor's conference in Las Vegas. That's really nice. And so I do want you to know that the 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 Beyond Borders Fund is safe. There was some talk about doubling it maybe this week, but we did not do that. But when we were there, uh, <laughs> we, one member of our staff had never seen the Las Vegas Strip before. And uh, he's like, well, I got to see that if we're going to Vegas. 
So uh, I gave him the tour. And as we, we, went, we went through it, it had been, whatever, my third time being there, uh, that it's interesting to go there with someone who's never been there before because they go through sensory overload. And, and, and all of the stuff that after you've seen for a while, yeah, whatever, that's just the way it is. And, and as I was looking at it through fresh eyes again, uh, it's horrible. It is really horrible. And, and, and as, we, that as I was looking it through that eyes, and again, I'm not, I don't want to be like that guy, you know, just coming down on us like that. I, I don't mean to be, but do you see what, what people consider as normal on that strip? It's not. It is not. And, and so as you go through there, and, and it makes you realize there's 40,000 hotel rooms on the strip, Right? And, and we're going, as we're going from casino to casino, the, at the, you know, $10 minimum bets on a blackjack table? Oh, my gosh. Um, that I look at that, and I'm just going, this is the, the, the amount of money, people coming in, dropping $100 bills, being there for, for five minutes, and it's gone. Uh, the, the, just the amount of alcohol, people walking up and down, with just because on each end you can get your daiquiris, you can get your uh, whatever you want, uh, margaritas, whatever, and they're 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 enough to last you the whole time. And then the the sexual part of it is mind blowing, and and especially because as a pastor I, I deal with this so much, and and it's such a big issue that it's normal that that th- these. These trucks with the advertising are just driving up, driving down. Hey, people pulling up. Hey, free, uh, free ride to um, these places. Um, yeah, you can get right in. I'll take you right there. No charge. And the, you know, if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. And what the, the thing about it is, is that that's seen as normal. And so that leads people to say what, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, except it doesn't. It overflows. That when you go there, that, that w- and it's not just there. It's when you go anywhere where there is sin, you bring some back with you. Whether it's in your head, whether it's in your heart, wherever it is, there, there is no such thing. And, and so in the midst of this, when you come from an outside perspective and you walk in to see what is now normal to them, that getting them to understand this is not normal is hard. Nehemiah was coming in and saying, you guys, you've been living in this trash heap for 80 years. And you know what they said? It's normal. It's always been this way. It's been this way as long as any of us can remember. Let's read the next verse. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. If you want to know what the city of Jerusalem, what Nehemiah said or saw when he went to Jerusalem and saw the gates and he saw the, the, the street, 
he saw what you see when you look in the mirror. Like a person who lacks self-control is like a city with its gates burning down. That, that the walls have been down, which means things come into your house, things come into your life and their heart that quickly. That, that there is no defense that you have, that sin just wanders into your life and wanders out. When you feel like it, you do it. And, and that's the part of it, is in this whole thing, Nehemiah's battle, the battle that you have, a, a battle that I have as a pastor, is to make you see where you are at is not good. I don't know how many times people have talked to me about, you know, I don't know that much about God's word. How comfortable you are with how little you know about the Bible is crazy. It's crazy. It really is. And, and as you think about it, it's, and it's so easy. It's not like there aren't Bibles around. If, if you don't have a Bible, just rent a hotel room, there's probably one in the drawer. That's how easy they are. That the, the phone app we talk about, and you lack the self-control to pick it up for five minutes. That, that, do you see this? I mean, and that's just the doing something positive. Besides the fact of the sin that you continue to go back to again and again and again, call it your pet sin, whatever it is, that's what this is about. And, and as a leader... When you go back to a vision for your own life first to say, what is God directing me here to do? That's more than anything else is learning how to lead yourself. In these areas, if if you're looking for a next step, one, one of the things I would tell you to do is look at yourself spiritually, physically, emotionally, and mentally. Those four areas... Those are the four walls of your life. They are. They just are. Those are the four places. If you want to know where Satan is going to come in, it's going to be that. And when one side of that wall of your life starts to crumble, the self-control leaves. And and you are left exposed to whoever or whatever is going to come next. Nehemiah says, no. Can you please, at least today, start to be uncomfortable with that? Because the rest of what we talk about, about moving forward, isn't going to help you unless you are uncomfortable where you are. The next words from Nehemiah. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began the good work. You're right, Nehemiah. This is a travesty of where we're at. And so now you see what a leader is. A leader is someone who takes people from point A to point B. That's it. That a leader helps them understand we cannot stay where we are, so let's go together, and we're going to have to go through some stuff to get to where we need to be. And we're going to look at the details a little bit later in this. Uh, in the blank, you can write, a godly leader includes others. Includes others in God's grace and leads them down a path that God will bless. And so the invitation is, will you join me? That, that was Nehemiah's. Will you join me on this journey that we are going to take? For him, it was a very clear 
job that needed to be done of rebuilding a wall, and there was a lot to it. But, but the rebuilding I'm talking about is what is your next step? Th- this is what's so important about the next step, especially today. Where is an area of your life where you lack self-control? What is the issue that you have? Is it a spiritual one? Is it a physical one? Is it an emotional one? Is it, is it a mental one? And now what, the way that you do it, again, I'm, I don't want to, we could spend all day talking about this, but the first thing you need to do in your life is assess the damage. You need to ride around the walls of your life. Where are the areas where I look at what I see and I don't like it? And then how do I get pointed to God's grace where there's forgiveness? Where I'm reminded that, you know what? Our God is a great God. The, the God we serve, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, whose name we, we confess in the Apostles' Creed earlier in the service, the God who made us, the God who saves us, the God who lives inside of us, he's just as strong today as he's ever been. And the answers to these problems and, and the strength that I need come from him. That is how we include God's grace, that there's hope. Even in the middle of a situation that, that seems very uh, dire at best, there's hope. Because God's grace, God's even working now to move forward. And then the final words. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. And in the midst of this, as you, you look at this, this idea of being multiplied by invitation, you're also going to see how they grow by subtraction. And, and that is saying, who cannot go on this journey with me? Who are the individuals or, or what is the thing that I need to leave in my past that if I am, I'm going to move forward, this thing or person can no longer be part of my life? In the blank, you can write, as I trust the Lord for success, as I trust the Lord for success, it will become more and more obvious who can't stay in my life. Anyone or anything that takes me away from Jesus needs to leave. I will trust the Lord for success. It will become more and more obvious who or what can't stay. Anyone or anything that takes me away from Jesus needs to leave. I don't know as we go from here uh, where you are at. I don't know if when Nehemiah shared this with the people that there were some people who were like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. I just, I'm not seeing it. I don't, I don't know exactly uh, the idea of rebuilding the wall I like, but the, the reality of it is going to be difficult. And, and as we go from here, today is, is a very high-level look. And, and what today is about is an invitation for you to begin to become uncomfortable with the things in your life that need to change. That, that as you look at them, that you, you know, and chances are that you know pretty quickly at least one. One thing that needs to stop and one thing that needs to start. 
And, and so maybe that might be your next step. What is the thing I need to stop? What is the thing that I need to start? How do I go to the Lord in prayer on a daily basis, on a regular basis, listen to what he has to say for me, receive the strength and the blessing that only he can give, and walk forward with his strength? The Lord, the Lord blessed Nehemiah as he did this, and I want you to leave here today with hope because he does the same for you. You have a gracious God who has done so many things in, in so many ways. Uh, just here at Crosswalk, in the lives of, of you as I look out, I know what he has done for you. And I also know he has a plan that we continue to build on, on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So go, as you go from here, go with the Lord's blessing, but also go with the plan to move forward. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you that you have been so gracious to us, that when, when Jesus came into the world, it was with this vision of, of paying the price for our sins, and we know that he did that, and we thank you for it. Now, Lord, as we live our lives, help us to become uncomfortable with those broken down areas of our life. Help us to, to take a step back and, and uh, revisit what we see in our lives and, and come to a clear understanding of how you would have us live and, and move forward. Lord, we cannot do this without you, so we pray for your blessing. We know that you will give us success, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. As you go from here today, a number of things to think about, especially when you think of Nehemiah surveying that wall and, and starting to develop a vision of, of where he needs to go uh, from where he's at. And it's my prayer that you do so as well and know that you're not alone, that God is with you, speaking into your life, speaking into your heart uh, through his word. And, and so as you go, you can go in peace and, and go with his promise and his blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great day.